Are you empowering or enabling your staff? How do you know? Well, if you're not sure which one you are, then the next 40 minutes is for you. Today on the program, my friend John Byler shares his experience of when he realized he was an enabler. His story will help you discover if you are one as well. Today, John shares not only his discovery, but his solution. It's driving change from ATI. I'm Jeff Berman. This podcast was created to improve our members' experience and to further assist with their growth. My hope is that you'll find the stories you hear from fellow shop owners relatable to where you are, where you were, or where you want to be. Ultimately inspiring you to take that next necessary step. You'll be hearing how others fought the same fight and what they did to get through it and come out better on the other side. Tune in each month for another inspiring story to drive change in your shop. So I'm here today with John Byler from Jackson Auto Repair in, guess what, Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, I've been working on him for about a year to get him in this room, so I'm really excited that he's here today. I think you're really going to enjoy his story. A quick background on John. He was 21 years old and he joined the Navy, spent seven years in the Navy. And uh, he got out of the Navy and decided he'd spend 28 years working for the phone company. Don't know why he'd do that, but I'm sure he's got a reason. And then after that, spent another 11 years uh, as a consultant for the phone company, which is where I think his story is going to start today. Uh, after 11 years as a consultant, he uh, was approached by his son, and he was, his son said, Hey, uh, Dad, let's go into business together. I want to fix cars. So 10 years ago, he and his son and another partner opened up uh, what was then Luxury Auto Service. Is that right? That's right. And yep. is now Jackson Auto Repair. Uh, five years ago, uh, we were blessed that he joined us here at ATI. So, John, without any further ado, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Jeff. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you and everybody else says that, so... Um, <clears throat> So John's story today, I'm going to let him tell it, obviously, but uh, he has a really good story about uh, staff. And, you know, we've talked a lot about staff, but his spin on this is a little bit different. And his spin on this is going to be about how we cause a lot of the problems with our staff because of our, our one specific challenge with leadership. And what we're talking about is how we enable them. So, John, take it away, pal. Wow. You're up. Yeah. Not knowing exactly where to start, but I, it, it does reach back into my telephone days. Uh, I grew up and had the experience of managing a group of uh, engineers in the telephone company for a lot of those 28 years. And uh, like, I guess, maybe some other folks, I thought I was probably the best one of the bunch. So generally speaking, I was... Uh, always the one that everybody came to for answers uh, with problems and I was more than happy to tell them how well I could fix their problem for them. <laughs> so you uh, had all their answers, oh, didn't you? Oh yeah, I was, and if I didn't have them, they thought I did yeah. and I made I made a good attempt at, at showing that. So um, took a long time for me to get to a point where uh, I didn't didn't think that I always knew the right way to do stuff. Um, so 
it, somewhere along in that time as a manager of engineers, I started attending some leadership seminars and some things and came across one uh, that I still uh, swing back to in my mind quite often. Uh, it was called The One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey, and I know everybody's going to be thinking, why in the world is this guy telling a story <laughs> like that? Uh, but it, it meant a lot to me and still does. It reminds me oftentimes of, of things that I do that are really kind of foolish in terms of the way I deal uh, with employees, with fellow workers, uh, with my family. I am, uh, I guess by nature, a fixer. By that I mean I have within me this desire and the thought that I can fix anybody's problem. And so when you bring me a problem, I've always got an answer. It took me, I won't tell you how many years I've been married, but it's been a long time. And it took most of that long time for me to learn that when my wife brought a problem, she didn't want an answer, she wanted a listener. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of another aside. I won't drag her into this too much. But the, the story of the one-minute manager uh, resonated with me because as a manager of engineers, I had from 10 to 14 people working for me. And we'd come in at, well, they would come in at 8 o'clock. I was usually there by 7 they would go home at 5 to 5.30, and I was there till 6, 6.30, 7 o'clock, doing all these wonderful things to make sure that they were getting their jobs done. I don't know if I related this in, in an earlier story with Jeff, but at one time I was in the office about 6.30 in the evening, and the phone rang, and I answered it, and a guy asked for one of my engineers. And I said, oh, he's gone home. And it was, it was a, like a bolt of lightning, his response to me. He said, well, what the hell are you doing there if you're the boss and they're the, the employee? And it really made me start to think, why am I in here? But anyway, it led me to this, this thing of looking at leadership and learning about it. The story of the, the one-minute manager meets the monkey, and I... I when I first heard it, I thought, that's a foolish thing. But the monkey turns out to be all the little problems and uh, issues and questions and things that employees brought to me day after day after day. I, I won't tell the whole story of it. If the book's still available, and if you want to find it, you can find that book. It's really good. Can I ask you something about the book before you go on to your story? Sure. Um, are you a reader by chance? Uh, yes. Okay, well, that, that didn't work. Okay. <laughs> that's all right. So you are a reader. Okay, that's okay. Um, would you say that someone who's not a reader, would you recommend this book to someone who's not a reader, and if so, why? I, I would recommend it because, it, first, it's a very easy read. You can sit down and read it in probably, I'm going to say an hour. To the whole book you read in an hour to to two. Yeah, it it's a quick read. Books in what eighty pages, it, seventy pages. It, 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 may, it may be a little bit longer than that, but it it's yeah. it's a story. It's yeah. not a textbook. It's yeah. it's a, for me 
I read it through in a single sitting um, because I related. I related to, I will call him the hero of the story, but it was really the butt. I mean, he was the guy who was doing everything, and his folks were taking advantage of him. Uh, and and the folks that were taking advantage of him, if I remember, it's been a little bit since I read this book, but it wasn't anything intentional. No. Nobody was doing any of this on purpose. It was just how life was. Exactly. Is that fair to say? Yeah. It, it's the way things went down. Uh, of course, he helped him go down that way, but, oh boy, did I relate to that. Mm-hmm. So learning how to transfer as... The book describes it, transfer monkeys from my shoulders to the shoulders of employees is a major task, or it was a major task for me. Wait a minute, is that what you were doing, or was it more, and it's some of that, but was it that, or was it more, I'm not taking their monkeys on my back? Well, They already had the monkeys. They had them. I took them. You had to give them back. Now I had to find a way to give them back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what it was. And, it. and the it. monkeys at this stage are all the the little things that they were supposed to do that I wasn't. So the way this applied to me most often, as as an engineering manager, I had responsibility to um, approve all of the work drawings that my engineers turned out. So for me, that approval meant that I had to check their addition to see if they had added up all of the parts like they were supposed to and that they had done everything that they were supposed to do on those joins and I checked them over and uh, I, I tell you how bad it was uh, when I finally retired one of the my retirement gifts from my crew was a box of red pens <laughs> <laughs> that they remembered of, that I was so used to doing, marking up drawings with all the things that needed to be changed for them. So anyway, that, sto- that story could go on for lots of years because it happened for a long, long time until I finally realized sort of what I was doing. And one day, my best engineer came in, and, and Tony was a great guy, really smart, a lot smarter than me but I didn't realize it at the time. But he came in, laid down a drawing, and I had gone through this self-evaluation thing of why was it doing so bad. He laid down this drawing. I was supposed to uh, approve it. My norm would have been, okay, great, Tony, because I probably had 25 drawings on my desk anyway or jobs that had to be approved at some point. So I bit the bullet. And as he started to walk out of my office, I reached over and grabbed his job, started to open it up, and he turned around and looked at me and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, you said it was done, is it done? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, then I'm gonna approve it. And he stopped, he said, wait just a minute. And he came back over and he took the job away from me. And he said, let me go check it out, <laughs> which, which was kind of startling for me, and I think it was startling for him, but it opened my eyes to see that I had been doing what was really their responsibility. Not only what they were being paid to do is what they expected themselves to do, but had come to depend on an enabling manager to do for them. 
So they weren't checking their own work. They were expecting me to do that. I got to ask you something. What do you think was going through his head at the time you opened that up and was about to approve it, and realizing at that moment he's thinking to himself, well, John never does this. What's going on? I'm sure there was some level of, huh? And then realizing that you're about to sign off on, probably in his mind, crappy work, right, or something to that level. What do you think he was thinking at that time? Obviously, this is speculative. I'm yeah, just curious. Yeah, and, and I'm not really sure, but I think, I, I think he probably thought, oh, crap. What if I've left something out? What have I not done? Because I thought he was going to. That's kind of what I thought went through his mind I, then, and I think today that that would be true. I would me. agree with that. But I ask that question because we probably have fears, right, that if we sign that dotted line without checking, that, you know, and ultimately you'd be the one, I assume you'd be the one responsible, right? Right. So it's going to come back on you, whoever your superiors are, are going to say, hey, you know, why'd you prove this? Yeah. Okay, and you get better have an answer. And my guess is, though, that even though you were doing this wrong all those years, you did a lot of things right. Because my guess is, was it Tony? Was that his name? Mm -hmm. Tony was probably thinking, I can't let John burn like that. I, there's something in the back of his mind was saying, I'm not putting that on him. I better look this over. You follow me? Yep. And, and I, I think you did more right than you think. Well, and, and I may have, um, and I, I, I think there was that in there with it. He was, it, 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 like most of them, very loyal employees. They didn't want us to, mm -hmm. to look bad, to go down bad. So, yeah, there was that coverage. But I, I've, I've often thought back to, to that time and, and then some others that I did similar things with as it became known that I was going to do it. I only had to spot, and I had to spot check. It's sort of like doing RO audits. You mm -hmm. got to do some, some, and now and then. You just got to, to inspect keep what you on. expect, right? It's, it's exactly right. But so, you're not supposed to micromanage. That's correct. How, how do you how do you find that that that? I mean, you're you're walking a tightrope there. How, how do you how do you determine when you're not micromanaging, but you still got to check? <sighs> Yeah, now you've asked the $64 or maybe $64,000 question. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, for me, it's kind, of, it's kind of like a gut check. If you know a, a person is doing, generally doing good work, then you can spot check it. But if you find somebody that's starting to do less than stellar work, you end up tending to check. I think their work a little closer mm -hmm. to follow a little closer to observe a little more and and so micromanagement mm, happens I hate to use the word but it is an it's an area of trust mm -hmm. Jeff it's an area of trust how much Absolutely. do I trust this individual to have done what they're supposed to do and when you're checking them all the time are they feeling like you're trusting them? No, absolutely not. So if you're not going to trust them anyway, then what's the difference what yeah. I provide? Why well, bother? Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's, the, I think, the real lesson you learned through all this, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, when, and, and it's, I've learned some new phrases, uh, actually since I've been at ATI, but this thing like on account of, it's accountability. As long as I was doing all the checking, they weren't accountable. 
it's accountability, but it's also, as I said when we first started, you're enabling them, right? I mean, right. you're you're giving them the license to give you crap because they know you're going to uncrap it for them. Yeah. Which in turn, I, and I don't know if this is true, and you maybe not even have thought about this, but if you go back to the, the whole, what was it, 11 years or so you were doing this particular job? If you go back those 11 years, I bet you would find that the work you did in this spot checking became more and more things to fix as time went on. It wasn't as hard as it was maybe in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It went the opposite way it's right. supposed to, right? right? You yeah. think by making all these red marks, as you said, with these pens, that they would learn from that. When, in fact, they did learn from that. They learned they don't have to do anything. You'll do it yeah. for them. Yeah, that's, and that's a fact. And, when, and then when you stop doing it, then they start to do their own work their own checking, their own mm-hmm. uh, making sure things are as they're supposed to be. Um, and I, I th- often think, well, that was all telephone and it doesn't relate much to automotive and and yet there's a lot of that that's very similar as well. Uh, as we build ROs, mm-hmm. uh, we, it, we better pick the right stuff, we better get the right information on there or Either we're going to overcharge or undercharge or somebody's not going to get paid right or, God forbid, something not get fixed right and mm-hmm. somebody get hurt because we didn't do the job we were supposed to do. So all of those things tie together that way. And if I'm if I'm right about this, you didn't have any automotive background when you started the business, Not any. Right? Uh, Your son was the mechanic, right? Well, he wasn't even a mechanic. Well, he was a mechanic, but his, his real automotive background was... Uh, service writing. He had done. He had been a helicopter mechanic in the army prior to that. But a lot of military people in your family. Well, thank thank you all for your service. <laughs> so, but it was, uh, yeah. Automotive was the first furthest thing from my mind. I, mm-hmm. The closest I did. I, back in in my younger days, I had tried a few things. This was before cars got so what they are today. I could. I could change a brake lining, you know, uh, maybe change spark plugs. I even think I rebuilt a carburetor once, but I don't, I couldn't do that now. And when the a first, what? yeah, a carburetor, <laughs> yeah, we don't discuss those very much anymore, do we? No, we don't. So, uh, it, it, it's been a, an interesting transition for me. Once we got into this business, when when I first got into the business, I was supposed to be the silent partner. I put up the resource, and they'd put up the work, and that held true for a while, but I retained enough control that I could keep an eye on what was happening with the books and the money and that sort of thing. So one of the things that, that uh, I have learned with, with ATI and and going through the things that we've done here is it it's so important the way that people need to be able to do their own jobs uh, particularly for me because I am just I, I don't have the knowledge and that's hard for me by the way since I already told you I'm a fixer mm-hmm. and I want to be able to fix it and I can't fix cars and I couldn't fix ROs and lots of things I'm learning to do, but uh, it was a lot of difference. 
But I think the kind of the way we got into this story, I was up here for, I don't know if it was a 20 group meeting or if it was for a class when you and I talked that day. And I got a call from, from one of my employees wanting to know what to do because, and I don't even remember, I think it had something to do with either the power's off, the internet was out or something like that. I think it was the internet actually. I, I believe it was too. I think yeah. the internet was out. and. And he called me, what do I do? Well, you called me. I, I didn't answer because I quickly jumped in and tried to fix the problem right. from long distance, which, by the way, didn't work so good. And in that conversation, I started telling you, you know, I ought to learn this lesson, but it seems like it doesn't get learned very mm-hmm. well because that's my nature is I want to try to take care of the problem. So and I, I enabled again. But I have... It made me start thinking again about how how dumb that really is, and how easy it is for me to get caught in that trap. So, let's let me ask you something that might kind of rock you a little bit. If it does, I'm sorry. But so, if you know that approach is wrong, what's a better approach? Well, how do we fix this? How do we stop enabling them? Yeah, that's that is a good question. Um, my my approach probably wasn't the right it wasn't the right way to do it but i think it was the right thing what did you do yeah i asked him i said well have you called Uh and and in this case it was called the the internet company right uh have you called them and and the answer was well no no. well why why not (laughs) Uh, well i don't know the phone number i said and i do Uh, you know it's you got to Think about what you need to do. What's it going to take to get it fixed? Well, as it turned out, it was a pretty minor little problem. But at the time, it seemed like it was a, a world beater. Well, we don't have internet. We can't do our job. We can't, yeah, but we got to get it fixed and get it done now. So, yeah, how do I fix the problem? Well, if I knew the answer to that, uh, I would be okay because <laughs> the problem keeps coming up yeah. and even today, my first response is to give them an answer, uh, tell them who to, who to call, what to call, what to ask for. You know, what's the way to fix that, I guess, is to ask ask questions. What have you done? Why? Well, not did, why, not exactly the, well, yeah. my, my question, why did you call me with yeah. this? That's, 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 that's the gut reaction we yeah, tend to have. Yeah. Instead of, well, what do you think you should yeah, do? Right. I mean, that would be a, 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 an then, easy question to just deflect it back on them right, and get yeah. them to learn, hey, man, he's not going to help me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's and that is the right thing is, okay, what, is, what can you do? Mm-hmm. So hope, hopefully we learn from some of those things. And I, still, I will still make this mistake again, I promise, we but maybe do. not as often. And maybe can turn it around a little bit more uh, to make it happen more the right way. I want to make a connection for the audience a minute. So you're not from an automotive background. So for those of them that are listening right now thinking, wait a minute, it's not the same. I want to make sure they know it is. It's exactly the same. So here's what I would say. You made the comment that you're a fixer. And I would tell you that, you know, without looking at statistics, as a gender that's just how men are. 
for the most part. We're fixers, right? The women want to hug, and we just want to tell them what's wrong and fix it, right? Right. You know? yep. They, they want to tell you about their bad day, and you just want to go beat someone up for doing that to their wife, and, you know, why, why is this happening? I'll fix it for you, yeah. right? Instead, they just want you to listen and tell them it'll be okay, right? So as a general rule, we are fixers, no question about it. If right. my wife's listening, she'll laugh because yeah. that's our life. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> that said, whether you're a fixer in the telephone company or whether you're a fixer in the automotive business, if you're in charge and you're running the business as the fixer, giving out all the answers, then nobody below you has to think. You create robots. And that's what you had with the engineers, and that's what you had in the shop, Yeah, really, for the most part. And anybody listening needs to hear that because... That is exactly what's happening when you provide the answers. The best shop owners I've ever coached are the ones that presumably to their staff know nothing. The least they know, the more effective they are as leaders. And that's really hard for us because we're fixers and we have the answer, right? Of In your course. case, maybe you didn't always have the answer, which may, maybe helped you a little bit because you, you didn't have to play dumb. You were. Right. <laughs> still, still am. <laughs> but that being said, yeah. if we can learn to ignore that natural instinct to say, well, here's what you do. Go do this and go do this and go do this. Then they will learn to stop coming to you for answers because you've decided to teach them how to learn. You've made them think as opposed to giving them that, that result to get it done because that car needs to go today. Right, right. right. Yeah. So by saying, well, I don't know, what, what do you think you should do? And giving them the leash to screw it up, assuming we're not putting anyone in imminent danger, there's no safety issue to them or anyone else, and it's not going to cause a huge financial drain on the company like they're going to blow up an engine because they didn't put oil in it, okay? But let them screw it up. Give them a chance to say, this is what I'll do, and say, give it a try. See what happens. And... Use that as a learning experience. So how did that go? Well, wow, you did know the answer the whole time. That's the one-minute manager, isn't it? Yeah, that, that absolutely is. Because then not only can they give you the right answer, you also have the opportunity to praise mm-hmm. and compliment, which is, I think, rewarding uh, for all of us uh, to be able to receive acknowledgement of our right behavior. I'll use it that way. I don't like the word praise very much because that gets bandied around some, but I think acknowledgement of correct behavior is very worthwhile. It's empowering. It is, uh, very much so. So we go from enabling to empowering. And and that's a good thing. Which one's going to get you a better result? Always. uh, Always. If I have an empowered employee, it, and now we're much, stuck in the business because we're the answer man, right? You know, Can't go on vacation. Yeah. Well, it, they don't or, know what to do. Or, or if they do, good night. They can get by without me. Yeah. <laughs> well, they'll always get by, but yeah. how how messed up will things well, be when they, you get back? Yeah. There's always that worry, right? Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. So. So we keep enabling them, so, so we're stuck. Yeah. That's uh, that. That's a tough thing to be because even old guys like me sometimes want to be able to get out. Well, maybe have to get out, <laughs> yeah, if the case may be, but yeah. Well, you'd like to walk out. You don't want to be dragged. I, I want to go out on my own yeah. on yeah, my yeah. own terms, correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, get it. So it's, it's uh, 
but but the actually the the reward for that when I can remember to do it and when I did remember to do it back in the days when I was leading a larger group the reward for that was seeing the, those individuals step up and do what they knew how to do anyway mm-hmm. and I don't remember I heard on one of your podcasts somebody say that that the the best way to to work this was to find people that are better than you are. Now, for me in this business, that has not been hard. Nearly everybody <laughs> is better at me than me at at uh, at cars. But for me in the telephone company, finding people that were better than me wasn't really that difficult either. I just had an ego problem. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think the enabling thing is an ego problem too because I like feeling needed. I can prove how much better I am than I need to stop all that or I'll get into true confession time. So, but well, The only person you were empowering was you. Yeah, that is correct. <laughs> yeah, and, and making myself feel really necessary to me. Yeah. And it's kind of a, a self-justification uh, of my position, my I hate to use that term, but my power, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I did, and I still do have power over the people who work in my organization. Sometimes it was power over some financial reward, power over time. Uh, there's just a lot of things that you don't even think about, or I didn't think about as being. I I had the power over, but but in fact. I, I could release that and really have more time for me, which was not always available. Well, John, I have to tell you, this was great. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk about this. I've yet to have anybody articulate this situation as good as you did. So I, I really do appreciate you coming on. I know, I know this is ringing home with a lot of people, a lot of people. So it's a, a Thursday night, and you're missing your, your dinner out with your 20 group just to do this for me. So I want to put that out there for everyone. John missed out on dinner. Well, we'll get you there late, but <laughs> missed out on, on the first part of dinner to come do this. So thanks a lot, John. I really appreciate well, it. Well, I appreciate you having me. I hesitated for a long time. I'm going to just throw this out there because not knowing cars, not knowing the industry, I've felt for a long time. I didn't have much to to share with anyone, but uh, I do appreciate the opportunity because I think that's a story that needs to be told often and heard often. If I could just learn it and listen to myself, I'd be okay. <laughs> well, you you can do that because you get to listen to this podcast recording as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, thanks a lot. Okay, everyone. Sharpen your pencils. It's time for reflection. Are you a fixer? Do you open your shirt and look down and see a big S on your chest? Now, I know that feels good. It should feel good. You're needed. But the truth is, what you're really needed to do is to help those that work for you become better and stronger without you. The shop owners that I talk to that have a hard time getting away from their shop, 
is usually because they have that big S on their chest. They feel their shop needs them because they've put their staff in a position where they do need them. John's story where he talked about his employee that called him while he was here for a class, and really there was nothing he could do from here. Now he could have pulled himself aside, got on the cell phone, solved the problem, which a lot of you might have done. But he was smart enough to realize at that point that's not what he should be doing. So where is there a, a book or a sheet of paper or something that provides everybody in the shop that needs the information to deal with the internet when it goes down, the computer when it goes down, the software when it doesn't work, the update that needs to be installed, the, the compressor, the staffing issues, whatever the case may be, you're not there. What are you doing to provide them what they need so that you can get away? I tend to refer to this often as a three-legged stool. And you can imagine if you take the leg off of a three-legged stool and there's only two legs left, clearly the stool is going to fall over. If your business is a three-legged stool and you're one of those three legs, when you remove yourself from your business, it's inevitably going to fall over. I hope you learned from John's story that what we really need to do is stop providing answers. We need to start asking more questions. And the truth is, the more questions we ask, the better we get at it and the better our questions become. This is not something that we do because our coach told us to. This isn't something we do because we read it in a book. This is something we do always, not for five minutes, not for three days, not for three months, forever. As you'll read, and I hope you do, in The One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey, which is a fantastic book and a very easy read for anyone, regardless of how good or not good a reader you are. You'll learn that what happens is that by providing answers and taking on their responsibilities, what you end up doing is becoming the guy that does all the work. While they stand around and watch, my suggestion is, is that if any of you out there feel that in any way, shape, or form, this sounds like you. Take the time to stop providing answers and start asking more questions. There was a day, and maybe you can remember that day, where you became a business owner. That is not the day you became smarter. Just because you own a business doesn't mean you should have the answers. You didn't have the answers the day before. What makes you think you should have them now? Stop teaching your staff to find you and start teaching them to find answers. These are smart people. They have to be. You hired them. It's likely, as John articulated, they're smarter than you are. They probably have better solutions. Instead of demanding they do it your way, maybe it's time to discover a better way. Maybe it's time to get them to solve their own problems and proudly put those monkeys on the backs of the people they should be on. That way you can stand tall without all that weight dragging you down. Feel good about the empowerment you provided your staff and be able to go away and know that those three legs 
are still standing. You have been listening to Driving Change from ATI. If you liked what you've heard today and feel you have something compelling to share with your fellow shop owners, we're waiting to hear from you. You can contact me, Jeff Berman, by emailing podcast at autotraining.net. Let me know what it is you can't wait to share and how I can reach you. Make sure you follow this podcast so you're notified when the next podcast is available. If you're unfamiliar with ATI and you want to learn more, you can check us out online at autotraining.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.